Hey, so good to welcome you to Fields Church Online. And we are so pleased that you've tuned in for this message. No matter what's going on in your world right now, we pray that you come away feeling encouraged by this message. Right. Just Let me just pray for Sabian. Father God, I thank you that Sabian has been able to prepare to listen to you. And I thank you, Father, that we know that whatever we hear now is from you. And Lord, I just pray for him. I thank you, Father, that you will speak through him. And Lord, I thank you that you will help us to listen and help us to take on board what we hear. Thank you, Father, that you are speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, so good to have a response. Um, I realized I wasn't actually going to do this, but I realized there's actually quite a few new faces. So yeah, I am Sabian. I'm one of the, um, I tech, normally one of the techie guys, or sometimes I play drums here at um, Fields Church. Um, and this morning, what I want to talk about is uh, don't miss Jesus. So if you're someone who likes to take notes, and it's always a good idea to take notes, that is the title of the talk this morning. And when I come to prepare a talk, I'll let you into a little bit of a secret. Um, the way that God sort of speaks to me is he, he tends to give me punchline. He tends to give me sort of the crescendo of my talk. And I get so excited about where it's going that I completely forget about the start of it. And, and sometimes I feel like church can feel a little bit like that. You know, we've heard some really, really amazing stories. And they are truly amazing stories of people's lives. And, and you'll come in and you'll hear stories of what happened in the Bible. And it, and it is incredible. But sometimes we're sitting there and we're going, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of at the start line, to use um, Laura's analogy. And, and I can't even see the destination. I can't see the, the finish line. How do I get there? And so I wanted to talk a bit this morning about actually how I missed Jesus for the first 18 years of my life. And I had a head start. I was very, very lucky. I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I went to church basically every week. Um, My mum was a cornet player in a brass band, which was actually quite famous because it was a a Battersford brass band, which apparently back in the day was quite something, used to travel around. Um, And my dad, although I don't really know about his faith when I was younger, I've managed to see that progress as I've grown up. And so he was always present. And I was one of the, the last of the generation that did that whole three services a day where you'd go in the morning, you'd then go home for lunch, you'd then go back to church in the afternoon for Sunday school, you'd then go home again for some more food, and then you'd be back there for the evening service. And now I look back on that, and I think, actually, that's given me such an amazing foundation for my life. All of these stories that I learned are really important to me now. But at the time, I really resented church. I really didn't want to be there because... It, was, it felt like it was too much. I could see all my friends and they were playing football on a Sunday and, and that's where I wanted to be or I wanted to be at home playing video games. Um, and I started to resent church because I didn't really understand it. I didn't really get it. It didn't seem applicable to my life. And I know that I've sat in churches before and I thought, I don't know where this applies to me. And now, it may shock you, but... 
I was the rebellious one in my family. Um, Kimini, who was standing here singing, uh, I know she looks like a troublemaker, but actually I'm the rebellious one. Um, and so I did. I, I decided to walk away from church from about the age of 12 or 13 because it just didn't seem to apply to me. I didn't feel like I needed this God or Jesus in my life. And life had been all right up until this point. I felt like there were things that out there that I was missing out on. Um, and what didn't help is I'm a very black and white thinker. So I take A and B, I put it together, and I make C. I, don't, I can't really think outside of the box. It's all very logical to me. And I kind of want to bring you into my way of thinking this morning. Okay, So to do that, I want to take you back to school. And I know that some of you are like saving seriously. Like, I'm back in two weeks, don't do this too early. Or I haven't been at school for many, many, looking at some of your faces, many a year. Um, but we're going to go back to um, school this morning. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn to Matthew 14? Um, and we're going to read through uh, verses 13 um, through to 19. I'll give you a moment to do that. Is everyone okay this morning? Everyone comfy? Everyone feeling good? Well fed? If not, there's food after the service. So. Everyone there. Excellent. So just to give you a bit of context, um, Jesus has gathered quite a following at this point and he's traveling around the country and he's just gone and crossed the Sea of Galilee. So um, the Sea of Galilee is almost like, a, it's just this ginormous lake. And it says that people actually followed him by foot. Now, if he crossed the Sea of Galilee, that means that some of these people would have walked potentially 16 miles to follow Jesus. That's sort of roughly the distance to middle of Ipswich, to Stowe Market, where I'm from. You know, it's, it's a long distance that they would have walked to follow Jesus. And we pick it up um, when he arrives. And in, in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. So just remember that some of these have walked potentially 16 miles. This is not a short journey for them to go and get food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to, to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Right, leave your Bibles open at that spot, but I just want to stop it there for a second, because it's math time. So, just to kind of give you an, an idea of how my brain works. It says that they had five 
barley loaves. Now, those five barley loaves would have been for the poor, so they wouldn't have been very big. So I'm kind of assuming that they were roughly 50 grams. And because there was five of them, that's in total 250 grams. Matan's doing maths at A-level, is that correct? Is my maths right so far? Good. Excellent. I really would have sucked if I'd got it wrong already. Now, 250 grams split between 5,000 people means that each individual person would have got roughly 0.05 grams, which is nothing. You wouldn't even, you can even hold that and notice a difference. And there was two fish. So I've put in a bit of fish, roughly 0.01. I've added onto the top. So it's about 0.06 grams of food for each person. Doesn't sound like a lot at this point in time. And I've done, I've done a, an additional equation. I've even managed to work out how the people would have felt if they received this much food. So we've got about 0.6 0.6 grams of food each, so bread and fish, for 5,000 people. And the math works out is that they would have been really upset and pretty hungry, and, and um, they probably wouldn't have, yeah, they wouldn't have been very happy. Now, of course, I'm being really silly, and I know that Jesus performed a miracle that day, and he managed to multiply the food, but sometimes it doesn't go, it goes completely against what we've learned. I really struggle to take into the account that Jesus can do something supernatural to make something happen. That goes beyond my level of thinking. And we have to accept sometimes when we're, we're talking about church that we have to almost drop a truth that we've learned or known forever. And we have to accept this new truth to understand Jesus. And of course, they all actually ate and they were satisfied. But this exaggeration still points to a, you know, a reason. It's hard to comprehend. comprehend. Um, it's hard because we read these stories and we just say, that's just not possible. It's hard. Um, and I like to think that I'm not the only one. People in the Bible really didn't understand Jesus either. And he was standing right in front of them. If you go back to Bible times, I think that they encountered all of the same issues that we do today with Jesus. So I just want to go through them. So number one, they didn't understand him. Even the disciples had moments when they asked Jesus to explain what he was getting at. They had times when even though he was being blunt with them, with the way he spoke, he just, they just didn't want to accept it. For example, if you look at the time that Jesus talks to the disciples about him dying in Mark 8, 31 to 32, it says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that, they, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, this word rebuke means to express a sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or their actions. And I've, I've added words onto the definition in, for this instance. So Peter would have gone to Jesus and says, what are you saying? You know, why, why would you say that? Why would you worry, like put fear in us? You know, I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to believe you. 
And I feel like sometimes that's like us in, in church. Like we, we hear these things and we just, we just don't want to go to that, that understanding of belief. It's, it's too difficult. So Jesus spoke plainly, but Peter refused to believe. He couldn't comprehend it. And there's plenty of other times when the disciples had to ask Jesus to explain parables. But that was often in private or away from the actual group of people that would have heard the parable in the first place. So you're actually left with a lot of these individuals who would have heard Jesus speak. But unless they went and pursued Jesus, they wouldn't have necessarily got the answers to their questions. The second point is they didn't want to change for him. There's a story of a rich man in Mark 10, um, 21 to 23. So Jesus is teaching and a man approaches him and and he asks Jesus, what can I do to inherit heaven? And Jesus asks him, he says, you know, do you know of the commandments? You know, have you kept them? And he says, yes, yeah, I've I've kept, kept the commandments. And then Jesus says this. He looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Well, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus needed to see that the man was willing to give up what was his main focus in life. So he could have Jesus' main focus in life. Jesus also says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I know I've used two contexts which have used money, but it isn't necessarily the money that distances us from God. It may be work or certain hobbies or interests, other people, idols that we choose to worship. To give a closer example, I support Tottenham Hotspur, who yesterday absolutely thrashed Wolverhampton 1-0. Um, and if I was to go down to London and watch them play maybe two or three times in a month, the cost of me going there would actually amount to more than my tithe to this church. If I were to do that then, what am I actually placing my worth in? What am I... What am I placing my time in? What am I investing in? What am I putting my love in? And it's not to say that any of this is inherently bad. We're called to enjoy the things around us, to enjoy creation. But it's just where do we have it in our hierarchy of needs in our life? Next, they just didn't want him. The Jews of the day were separated into sort of three main philosophies, the way that they they thought. And then on top of that, there was um, a group called the Zealots. Now, the Zealots weren't a very nice bunch of people. Um, They believed that violence, even to the point of murder, was justifiable in the name of God. And they would kill Romans for that reason. One of the disciples, Simon the Zealot, was potentially a member of this group or, or a sympathizer with them. But going back to the, the main three, the main three are the Essenes, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. So the Essenes, these Jews were likely lived a life that we sort of would have deemed correct, you know, that God would have deemed correct. 
they, they looked at the scripture and they studied it. But the problem with the Essenes is that they made themselves outcasts. They took themselves away from the main body of people. And they didn't accept women into their group. You had to do a three-year engagement, potentially, to actually marry a woman. And most of them chose to be celibate. So they really distanced themselves from the normal community. And then the Sadducees, they worked closely with the Romans, and they only tended to consider the Pentateuch, so that's the first five books of the Bible. Um, So because of that, they would have been broadly unaware of actually a lot of the um, prophecies of Jesus and, and the things that he was going to have to do and the signs of his coming up until that point. So they would have missed Jesus. And then you have the most famous, the Pharisees, Jesus had probably the most conversations, the most debates with the Pharisees. Um, and their philosophy was that they tried to separate themselves from anything that was impure. And they spoke to each other in what they called the oral law. And this was not really scripture. It was something, it was more like a tradition that had passed down over generations. And these things consider, consider things like um, ceremonial washing as more important than just blessing God. They spent more time telling people how they were living incorrectly and far less about how people should honor God. Jesus opposed the Pharisees and no one did that. That would have really shocked them. That would have really upset them. So I don't think that Jesus would have aligned with any of these groups of Jews at the time. He certainly wouldn't have condoned any violences against the Romans. Back in the day, if a Roman came up to you and said, um, can you walk a mile with a pack? You, had, you were obligated to pick up whatever they were carrying and walk one mile. And someone asked Jesus about this and he says, well, if they ask you to walk one mile, walk two. That would have gone right against the, the, um, the thinking of the day. They were, they were expecting this Messiah but this Messiah that they had thought of was a militant leader. They thought that it was someone who was going to overthrow the Romans. Jesus came to win a battle, but that wasn't the battle that he'd come to win. He had a bigger picture. He had the whole of mankind on his head. And Jesus placed himself in all kinds of communities. He wouldn't have worked as an Essene because he spoke to women. In fact, Jesus put a lot of emphasis on meeting with women. Women were the first people that Jesus showed himself to when he resurrected. He put himself in a position to convene with the impure because he knew that they were the ones who were lost and so in need of help. So these Jews wouldn't have taken Jesus into their their philosophies because he didn't fit into their lives. Number four, they got distracted. I want to talk about um, Simon Peter, who's one of the disciples. Now, not only was he one of the disciples, but he was one of Jesus' three closest friends, alongside James and John. So we're going to look at John 21, 4 to um, 10. But if you want to get that ready, I just want to give a bit of context for anyone who perhaps hasn't had a chance to read uh, a gospel So I'm going to explain how life has gone for Peter up until this point. Um, But if you do get a chance, I actually really recommend that you read a gospel. Don't take anything that I say this this morning as gospel. 
you know, we should be going away and, and researching this for ourselves. So this man was born Simon, and he grew up being a fisherman. And Jesus meets him when he, he asks to use one of his boats. And he pushes it out into the Sea of Galilee, and he sits in it, and he teaches from the shore. And when he's done, he says to Simon, get back in the boat, go out into the lake, and go fishing. And Simon's like, no, fishing all day, and we've caught nothing. But there's something about this Jesus guy. And he does get in the boat, and he throws a net out, and he catches so many fish, he can't even pull it back into the boat. And he has to call back to the shore that someone brings another boat out to lift it in. And it's, there's so many fish that the, the, the boats are almost sinking as they get back to the shore. And Simon says, I'm not worthy to stand in front of you. But Jesus says, I'm not you don't need to be a fisherman anymore. You can become a fisher of men. And he says, come follow me. And this is really important because this was a phrase that the rabbis used back in the day. A rabbi is a teacher. And they would have had a following. So for Jesus to say, come follow me, he was saying to the people, I'm going to teach you the ways of living with God. He wasn't a normal man who just knew a little bit about fishing. He was something special. And Simon follows Jesus, and he even gets his name changed by Jesus to Peter. This is something that confused me a lot when I was younger, the fact that you read Simon, Simon Peter, and Peter, and it's all the same guy within the Bible. But he walks alongside Jesus, and he sees Jesus talk with incredible authority about the way in which God wants people to live their lives. And he sees him do some incredible miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. He sees Jesus heal lepers, the blind, the paralyzed. He sees him cast out demons. He even sees him raise those who have been pronounced dead back to life. He walks on water, something that Peter does, but he panics and almost drowns. He gets taught by Jesus on how to pray and how to perform these miracles of healing and casting out impure spirits. And he probably walked about 3,000 miles with Jesus over the course of a three-year span. And he would have shared meals together. They would have talked. They would have laughed. They probably prayed together. They might have even played games to pass the time when they walked from town to town. And he sees Jesus fight against these Pharisees and the way that they were living in a life of being judgmental when they had no position to do so. And Peter would have put his own life in danger to be associated with Jesus. Jesus was a convicted criminal. You know, They believed that what Jesus was saying was punishable by death. And when it came to near the end... In the garden, when Jesus gets arrested, the last thing that Peter does in front of Jesus is he cuts off the ear of a high priest in defense of his friend. And the last words between the two are that Jesus would predict that he would deny him something that came to pass. 
And as Jesus got taken away, he would have heard stories about how Jesus would go on to be unfairly charged and sentenced, whipped, beaten, tortured. His friend who he'd lived with for so long, trusted and loved and believed in, was gone. And we don't know if, G- if Peter was necessarily at the crucifixion, but he definitely would have heard the stories of how a crown of thorns was placed on his head and he was nailed to a cross and he died, humiliated. And I want to ask you a question. What would you do after all of that? You just devoted three years of your life to this man of learning and teaching. He's become your best friend. What would you do after you'd seen and witnessed all of these things? And I think that Peter went back to his old life. He went back to fishing. Some normality. So Peter and some of his friends and family and some of the disciples are here back at the lake where it all started. And that's where we come to John 21, 4 to 10. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net. Oh, sorry. He said, throw your net onto the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John, by the way, very... Um, arrogant, um, said to Peter that it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment, he, he, before he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, this is a great story. But the thing that has always stood out to me is why do we know how many fish there are? Like, you've just witnessed, you've gone three years with your best friend, you've seen everything miracles, you've gone through joy, elation, despair, anguish, disappointment, guilt. He's dead. He died. You heard about it. He's gone. And yet he turns up at the shore and the first thing that you think you're going to go and do is go count some fish. Like, how are you getting distracted in that moment? And Jesus even got breakfast on the go. Who's going to you know, turn away from breakfast on the go, hey? Now, I don't think it's necessarily Peter missing Jesus. But it's a moment where he's missing his opportunities with Jesus. He's gotten distracted with the mundane, the everyday. It's likely that it was necessary to do. But right in that instance, when Jesus is sitting right in front of him, His best friend raised from the dead, proven that he's God, and just as he said he would, and he's invited him to sit with him and have a relationship. And Peter gets distracted with the miracle, not with the miracle worker. Do you want to know the worst thing about all of this? The most frustrating thing 
I can't stand here and say that I haven't done every single one of those statements because I have. I've missed Jesus in every way. Instead of they missed Jesus because they didn't understand him, that they didn't want to change for him, that he wasn't the Jesus that, he, that they wanted, or they got distracted, I missed Jesus because I didn't understand him. I didn't want to change for him. He wasn't the Jesus I wanted, and I got distracted. I've missed Jesus at one time or another in my life because I didn't get it. I didn't want to change my life, which had felt so normal and so cushy. He wasn't the Jesus that I wanted. I got distracted by everyday life and not putting Jesus at the center. And this is one of those messages, and I'm really sorry this morning, but this is one of these messages that actually it's a little bit for me. I really hope that you can have a takeaway this morning, but I'm kind of preaching to myself. But there's hope. Jesus always extends his hand to us. There's a story in the Bible about a man, and to the best of my knowledge, we don't even know his name, which I think is a real disappointment. But he kind of gives a blueprint on how we can meet with Jesus, how to not miss Jesus. And this is his story in Luke 7, 1 to 3. No, sorry, 1 to 10. When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When Jesus came, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word. Sorry. But just say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, follow, who, the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The centurion did four things to have a relationship with Jesus. Thank you, man. He clearly heard of him, and he had likely gotten more information about Jesus to know that this carpenter, as Jesus had trained to be, was not underneath him, but over him, that he was superior, that he was Lord. He had done this research and we need to do that as well. He recognized the need for Jesus in his life. His servant was dying and nothing was going to heal him except the intervention of someone who could do the extra extraordinary. There are always situations which are out of our control. And we need to take those to Jesus through prayer. And have time to listen 
This morning, Mark did something really amazing. He, he got us to sit. We have a prayer time at um, 9.45. So please, if you want, come and, and witness that. Be a part of it. But this morning, he got us to sit and, in silence for five minutes. And for some people, me included, that is horrid. I'm too busy, I'm too active, I, I have things going through my head all the time, but do you know what, in that moment, I've got so many answers in f- just five minutes of silence. It's incredible. He humbled himself. He said that he was not worthy. He acknowledged his imperfections in his own life but he knew that he had to go to the one who was perfect. And he believed. He believed that Jesus could fix what was broken, change whatever was functioning incorrectly, and save a servant's life. And this idea of faith isn't a light switch. It doesn't turn on and off. We have to allow it to grow. And then we, the only way that we can allow it to grow is by trusting and having this relationship with Jesus. And sometimes that means forgetting about some of the truths that we've always known, or at least allowing that truth to only go so far and realizing that Jesus takes us further. I've got a question for you this morning. Can you afford to miss Jesus this morning? Are there people in your life who can afford to miss this Jesus? Can we afford to wait in telling the good news? We're going to sing a a song and sort of reflection over that that question this morning. I just want you to have a, a real think about where you are with Jesus this morning. Perhaps ask him, How do you want to speak into my life today? Thank you, band. Be with Jesus this morning, my friend. I truly believe that this song's main statement is true, that he is too good to not believe. And perhaps you're at the start of the road and it seems far and that's okay that's okay your journey can start this morning we're going to have some people down here they're going to wear a green lanyard and they want to pray with you if that's you this morning I want to talk to you about this life lived with Jesus with God with the Holy Spirit or perhaps you were like Peter and you were in the boat and you've gone back to your old life and you once had that relationship with Jesus, but he's felt dead in your life. This morning, I feel like Jesus is calling out to you. He's calling from the shore and he's saying, come, have breakfast with me. Have a relationship with me once again this morning. And if that's you, please come down, speak to myself, speak to one of these people with green lanyards. Your journey with Jesus can start this morning. Don't miss him. That concludes our service this morning. Thank you so much for coming. Um, We're going to have some fellowship out in the the foyer. We'd really love it if you could stay with us um, and just have some conversations. Speak to someone new this morning. 
Um, if you've got children, please remember to pick them up um, and uh, relieve our kids' workers so they can go have a coffee because they've earned it this morning. Um, but please, I hope that you have a really blessed week uh, and that just God fills you this morning uh, and this week. Thank you very much.